This is Sonic 16 Presents. back everyone to another episode of the music and photography podcast i'm billy sanford and in this episode i'm excited to be speaking with danny horovitz danny how are you uh thank you for joining me thank you for for having me and pronouncing both my names perfectly which is not always that easy one n and danny and a v and horovitz it, it <laughs> goes bill for a loop and you did it like an absolute professional thank you for having me yeah absolutely and uh, glad to hear that for sure. So in music and photography, and part of the reason, you know, I started the podcast originally, these are two different ways that creative people, you know, can express that creativity. And uh, one of the ways that these things cross over for a lot of people is through storytelling. And I know you've got a lot of insights into storytelling in general. And you've also mentioned recently on your Instagram that throughout this year, through November, you're going to be releasing new music every six weeks. And want to talk to you a little bit about that. But just to kind of get us started, I'm always interested in hearing about sort of those initial sparks for people, how they get interested in these things. And musically, you've mentioned a couple of things. One, that your grandfather owned a record store in Montreal, and that uh, your father used to play guitar for you and your brothers. So yeah, had a couple of questions around that. That family influence, of course, is common and it's strong for people. I was curious, did did your brothers also pursue music or was were you the one that kind of latched onto that most strongly? I, I'm certainly the one that latched onto it more strongly, but we all, we all have some musical um, abilities. Uh, all three of my brothers play instruments. Robert plays a little guitar. David plays guitar and he's like qu quite good at the at the technical elements of it. And Jonathan played bass. But I'm the one who kind of picked it up and made it like a like a hobby, not just to like play instruments, but also to to write songs and, and really take it to the next level. So we all have an interest in music, but I think they would all agree that I took it to that next level. <laughs> Did you ever all of you together play music together? Ever um, contemplate no. having a family band or anything like that? No, no, but maybe if it was the 60s or 70s and like ABC came to us and said, we want to have a com competitor for the Partridge family, we would have done it. But no, it never, that never happened. Never materialized. <laughs> it's so funny, actually. I've never been asked that and it never even occurred to me that we would. But maybe it's because we all basically play guitar. There's no drummer. So. <laughs> right. But right. that would have been a cool idea, actually. Yeah. And so with your grandfather owning the record store and, of course, the way that music has 
one of the ways that music has changed over the way over the years is this idea i mean we do still have record stores although they're not quite as ubiquitous as they were back in the day yeah and you know i'm, I'm a little bit older so i still have those fun memories it's just nostalgia for me on a record release day and you know, if you knew one of your favorite artists was coming out with a new record, you you anticipated that day coming and then you showed up to the record store, went and bought the record or tape or CD or whatever, took it home. And you had this kind of physical connection with this music that you enjoyed. And today, a lot of it is digital, of course, and this is how you're releasing music. So I thought you might have kind of a unique insight into this because you you have that experience from your past of, yeah. of your grandfather's store but also you're releasing music digitally yeah. and the thing i do like about that is you know it, it you can push it directly to the people that want to hear it i, mean, I just kind of what are your thoughts on the on this way yeah. that we the way we consume music has changed i'm so much of two minds about it on the one hand yeah i love records i still do i have vinyl here i've got a special uh uh, frame when I play the vinyl, I, I put the record up there so you see what I'm playing, and it becomes its own interchangeable piece of artwork. I right. love the ceremony of putting in vinyl, and there's like a nice quality to that when you have friends over and you change the record. The physicality of it is 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 wonderful, beautiful up there, I'd say. And the 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 thing is, if I was big enough that I had a, a distributor to put my music in stores and even help me market the music, I might even still today be able to be. In music stores and that would be really cool but i don't right independent artists are too small it's too expensive to print it on we don't really uh, you know really printing off merchandise until you get to a certain level is somewhat of a vanity project or or at least a very uh, expensive investment to try to get your fans to buy that merchandise and everyone on the internet is saying you know sell merchandise and that's how you make your money well there's an overhead cost to that as well so in that right. way it kind of lament this era in which somebody was taking care of that side of you for it and you ended up with this beautiful physical piece for your fans to have in their home mm -hmm. on the other hand it's so easy now for artists to get their music to people's ears that if that's the goal that's achievable and so that's something that i wouldn't even be able to have in the old days in the old days there i'm sure was a mystery a great mystery to getting a record deal or a distribution deal and and I don't even know how you would begin to, I don't know how you begin to get it today, let alone back in the, in the seventies and eighties when they were, when they were uh, uh, thriving. So, so I'm of those, those two minds, it would be cool. It's not the world we live in and there are benefits to not living in that world, even though the coolest thing would definitely be to like have been famous in the seventies. Right. <laughs> and I think, you know, maybe this idea of the way that we distribute music, even like a song at a time is is maybe a topic we'll revisit here in just a minute but continuing yeah. continuing on with your influences so the family influence is always strong but another thing that oftentimes kind of contributes to a person's creativity i think you know is when you go away to university and of course when we're younger we go to school with people who live sort of in our same area and so there's a sort of a similar point of view i guess to life but then you go away to university you get exposed to new ideas you make friends with people you know from different places different backgrounds and you went to mcgill right for a yeah. literature degree so right. 
the literature part probably played a large role i'm assuming in 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 your approach to storytelling but i was just curious in general when you went away to university how did that did, did it contribute to sort of your worldview and how you craft storytelling or yeah, what was yes. your experience there absolutely i mean i always loved reading and thinking critically and i loved discovering meaning and i loved stories and so i loved writing stories you know what john mayer has talked about this on a youtube video when he's talking to students who are musicians and he was saying that to be a good songwriter you know you have to learn your musical stuff but then you got to go you got to be inspired you got to go have walks in the rain at nighttime and i that kind of stuck with me now, this is years later i just thought it was a very poignant point but when I was a student, you know, you get to spread your wings out of your your parents' house for the first time, walking through the, the the streets of a city at night. And if you've never been to Montreal, it's it's just a beautiful, beautiful city full of life and vibrancy and color and spice and art and all the good stuff. And so it's it's hard not to be inspired. And if you are so inclined to to write or to you know or, or to let yourself feel all of the things that you can, it, it can be a very very uh, romantic place uh, on, a, on a personal level so there was that aspect being on my own mcgill itself is a, is a wonderful school and the the learnings there were great and the, and the idea of thinking critically was really hammered home in the literature department because that's essentially what the humanities are is like here's a thing read it what do you think about it well in order to articulate intelligently what you think about it you have to find quotes you have to do a little bit of research and then suddenly the meaning of the story becomes at least more available to you in a way that you can explain it to others. And in a way that's, that's, I mean, in, in a less academic way, kind of what songwriting is. Here's a story and I'm writing it in such a way that I'm telling you what I or the narrator thinks about it, but also in such a way that you get your own meaning out of it too. And so it's, yeah, I think the, you know, it's, it's worth having that cool, degree and it's absolutely worth having the amazing experience of, of living away from home as a young person so all of that plus you know like you said you're exposed to to new people who right. bring you new ideas new artworks new new ways of seeing the world and just all kind of combines at a time in your life when you want to change and right. uh, it was a beautiful thing for me at least right I'll, i can imagine and you've also you know uh, sort of related you've talked about leonard cohen and his sort of oh yeah your appreciation of him and his work, not just the music, but you know, his, his writing life, as yeah. well. Yeah, just talk a little bit about I'd him love and to. his influence. So so growing up, you mentioned like my dad played the guitar and we would listen to the oldie stations. Mm -hmm. A lot of oldie stations, which is like very, you know, high energy from the fifties or maybe the sixties, you know, the, the Beatles, the Beach Boys, Elvis. We also like listen to a lot of Broadway albums too. Right. Uh, but but Leonard Cohen was something who wasn't on the radio a lot. And yet when I got to McGill, he's this very famous Montreal Canadian, very famous poet whose name I'd heard, I actually started listening to it. This is the era of the of the iPods when we just walk, you know, like I said, walk through the streets listening to music. Right. And it was almost like being punched in the in in the in the face, punched in the gut. Like it was so rich. It 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 warranted so many repeat listenings about what it is he's trying to say. Bird on a wire is this really evocative image mm -hmm. that all, is also about someone trying to reconcile with their own, I don't know what, failings of some way, alcoholism. But you have to listen to a lot of times and it's so so enjoyable you know and that's true of so many of his of his songs and he, he and i also fit the same profile and he went to mcgill mm -hmm. for literature and so in this sort of like amazing poet storyteller and I, I i did find inspiration for myself and think like this is a really good a really good template he he also didn't have 
what you'd consider the world's greatest singing voice, and yet he made it his own. And everyone knows that sound, and everyone likes that sound. I don't know that he was the world's greatest guitarist either, but he found a way to account for that, early playing a little guitar and then hiring musicians. So there was a way for him to make his art work. And his art was so incredible that there it was kind of like, okay, this is this is something that can be can be achieved if I worked hard enough, you know, if I if 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 I really think through. Not not because, you know, not because I don't think he was amazing, he was, but I try not to put human beings on a pedestal. Right. There's always a way to do what they can do. Sometimes you can't, but he had this amazing ability. I thought if I stu- if I study it and I, and I think about it and I, and I love the music as much as he did, let me see if I can if I can write songs that, that that have that kind of riches, tell stories, paint pictures that that have it. And I don't know that I've ever gotten there. I don't know that I ever will. But but he was a huge influence, and thanks for asking about him. I'm not trying to yeah. compare myself to Leonard Cohen. <laughs> but, no, but it just to understand how. Yeah you know, all of the influences and how they contribute to your own approach. And you mentioned the way he evokes an image and you touched on painting the picture. And that was a thing I had noticed listening mm-hmm. to some of your music, you know, moving on as a song, you know, sort of at the beginning, you're, you're painting the picture of the story of that song and uh, downward into the dark, of course, which is telling a more uh, serious <laughs> story of course but it starts you know in talking about the grave so it's painting the picture there as well and just in terms of your own songwriting when you're sitting down to kind of craft that story and maybe i should and aside first hemingway is one of my favorite authors and and it's not i don't have a literature degree so i may not be able to articulate it uh in technical terms but in reading his novels you know, I always have this very vivid mental image of the scenery of the story he's talking about. And so tying that to what you mentioned about Leonard Cohen and your own approach and wanting to paint that picture and these examples of these songs and maybe others, when you're sitting down to write that song to tell that story, are you in these instances where you have sort of described the scene, is that intentional? Did it just come out of the way that you imagine the story in your own mind or how did, how does that part of it work for you? That's a good question. Let me pause and say Hemingway, great, great author. Right. <laughs> I've read, I've read a couple of short stories, not none of the novels, but I remember mm-hmm. reading uh, the old man of the sea and really liking it as a story on its, on its face for its story. Right. By dragging the fish log and then later right. <laughs> thinking about it on a deeper level. And that's like a the sign of a good work. Those the 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 you know replayability, the Easter eggs that, that make the meaning. So the meaning isn't like isn't hitting you so hard in the face. It's like we get it, it's a metaphor. You know, it's like an, it's also itself its own story and wrapped in that well-told story is this other thing. Right. Um, but I think first and foremost of the story I'm trying to tell before before really the meaning. In songwriting, maybe kind of a cheat code for storytelling is the story and the emotions are often tied because you only have so many words, so many minutes. So you're painting an often emotional picture. Mm-hmm. It's different with every song. With, with, with moving on in that case, I actually had gone through a, a breakup and I remember feeling like good one morning, but I hadn't felt good in a while. Let me capture this, this feeling Right. when I wrote that down. That doesn't mean that it's a personal song, but it's about as close as a personal start to, to a song. Normally it goes the other way. I'll be on my guitar and I'll, I'll feel something as I'm playing something and some words will come to me. And I thought, okay, what do I do with these words? How do I paint this picture? What is the story I'm trying to tell? And sometimes those words change entirely just because as the, you find the rhythm of the song. But 
ultimately, yeah, I am trying to paint a picture. I want to, I want to make songs that people want to hear first and foremost, you know, mm -hmm. that's the most important thing. And then while I'm doing that, sing words that I find interesting and tell us, you know, and, and that maybe has some, some deeper meaning. Um, just as a side digression, I remember reading from Roger Ebert, his approach to writing film criticism. And he's, but you know, I'd say the best uh, film critic of all time. He's also one of the best writers I've ever, I've ever read. I loved reading his reviews and I loved reading his, his blog. And he was saying that his approach was very simple. He would just write from an autobiographical perspective. He'd start by explaining what he saw in the movie and then what it meant to him. And it's a simple approach that keeps it from being a little too pretentious, a little too high-minded. And yet, because he read so much, probably lived so much, he was able to describe it so well and relate it to other people. So that's all I'm trying to do is take all that I've read, all that I've lived, all that I'm feeling, put it in a package that sounds good to me and hopefully sounds good to other people. And then if I've done my job well, you want to hear it again and again because you're getting more and more out of it. So right. I don't know if that answers the question, but that's it does. <laughs> it does. And one of the other potential influences I thought maybe that you mentioned as well, listening to the Broadway shows, but you've done a little participated in some musical theater as well, right? So yes, this is a, this is another way that music and storytelling cross over. Kind of, do you feel like that has also just given you another experience to pull on, I guess? Absolutely. I mean, uh, th th those old show tunes are also part of the, the American songbook of pop standards now. And right. it, they both have to stand as songs on their own that you can sing. Also, they push a larger story forward in the literal songbook of them. Um, as, and as a kid, I, I got involved in like the school choir and the school musicals, and it becomes a sort of addictive thing where you want to perform and you want to sing, and they're so catchy. Sorry, I'm snapping into the microphone. But, <laughs> but musical right. theater, when done well, is so, is so catchy and infectious that that really does, at least in part, explain why the next generation of songs coming out of it in, for pop music in America was also so catchy. It, it was more on the action, let's say, than previous generations, which was based in classical music without lyrics and more about moods. And, and moods and emotions coming out of the music is still important. But catching their ear with that hook is, I think, part of that whole, you know, Roger and Hammerstein, Cole Porter kind of era that then translated to the Sinatras and the Elvis and then eventually to the Beatles and Bob Dylan's and when songwriting takes off. There's a whole, there is like an arc and a path. I'm not here to like give a history lesson. And, and I don't think, I didn't think about it that way. Right, but, it, but I did, I did, uh, but I did randomly mention Broadway show tunes just then. I, th I think that's part of it. I think it's because it's part of that pop, pop history that led directly into into more deeper storytelling. That without one, you may not have had the other. I think maybe. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely, and and so this is another part that I'm always curious about with people who create. For a lot of people, it's almost like a thing they can't not do <laughs> and so another part of your story is that after mcgill you went on to get your law degree yeah you know you you could certainly sit back and just have a nice comfortable predictable corporate life and have a rewarding life but but yet you decided to pile more on your plate and and try to start a music career really well. are, are you saying that i'm aiming to have a not rewarding life is that <laughs> <laughs> not at all it's <laughs> I, it's wanting to understand how what kind of that additional drive to go okay. above and beyond the yeah. sort of creature comforts of life to pursue this thing that's not easy to do but has its own rewards i mean yeah what are your thoughts on that 
first of all, great question and great research because it's not that I'm trying to bury that side of me, but I do want people to think of me as as a musician, as a singer songwriter. So I try to not not you know not point out the fact that I've got this whole other life. I'll, I'll be honest, all musicians have other lives these days because there's we talked about it earlier. There's no there, it's very hard to make a living being right. a musician. And I uh, you know I went off and I and I did this thing playing music in my bedroom to the walls for years. And after a while I realized like, no, I want to, I want to share my, uh, my, my song. So how did it happen? Okay. This is fun and funny <laughs> today when I'm off the interview, the place that I have to go after this interview is go to a theater where I'm going to be doing rehearsals on stage for a show called you're in town with a bunch of other lawyers. I have, a, I have a very small part because I'm doing all this other music stuff and, and possibly because my, my voice might not be the most you know, bombastic and, and Broadway-esque voice but years ago i got involved through a friend from law school in uh, an event called the lawyer show it's in toronto this this theater company called the nightwood theater they're they're a feminist women's theater company and to raise money for their operations they get lawyers in the city to like who are interested in theater former theater nerds who are lawyers to get on stage and perform <laughs> and invite family and friends to see them and it's like a three-month process and and it's like acting fantasy camp when i started it was shakespeare i love i love shakespeare as you can probably hear from my some of my lyrics Right. And then it transformed into musical theater. Well, I had a background in that from when I was a kid. And so I've run with it and I do it every year. And and you can imagine now doing it for so many years, doing this thing that you love, rediscovering a part of yourself that you're so glad to have rediscovered after having swept it all away in the interest of having what you describe as, you know, creature comforts and routine and the things that sound like they're good, but they're actually just distracting you from from living in some ways. Right. Now I get to have that experience and it 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 filled me with joy and it filled me with like almost a sense of purpose. And slowly over time, I thought, well, like if I can get on stage and do this and I can rediscover that part of myself, Danny, what is stopping you from taking these songs that you know are good, that you love playing, that you are, and go, going further with them. And so it, it was a part of my journey to then become this new version of, of myself. And now going full circle, that's how I see myself as a singer songwriter who just also happens to have this other, other job that I, that I do to, to pay, to pay the bills and pay for the, uh, pay for the, the the records right well that and and just before we leave that topic that is great uh i love the idea uh, that you described you know getting together to put on the show to raise awareness and funds i mean I, what a, what a great way to use these artistic and creative drives that we have right yeah yeah it's it's a lot of fun and uh there's all kinds of lawyers out there and some of them are former theater nerds. You can imagine someone who went into law because they love performing, only to discover that most of it is paperwork and it's not that much performing <laughs> after all. Uh, but they but they have that instinct in them, and I'm I'm one of those. And so we're a whole bunch of us, and we have a, just a blast doing it. At the end, we put on a product, and like if your expectations are somewhere down on the floor, you're going to be very happy with the product because some of these some of these people, these these lovely humans, are just so talented. They could have been. Uh, actors uh, pro professionally on, on the stage and for whatever reason because of their different drives or because of their fears or or anything else they decide to go through this path and if they're you know they're hard-working people which is why they do what they do professionally and the end product I think is always astounding to me I'm 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 grateful even to just be included in that in that group and shout out to the Nightwood Theater if they if they hear it I hope people uh, go check out the rest of their season if they live in Toronto and um, they because they make really cool theater the rest of the year too absolutely and just sort of as an aside, so you've spent time in Montreal and Toronto. Yeah. I don't know if we mentioned that at the top, but you, you are, when push comes to shove, you are a Leafs fan. 
Push comes to shove. I am I am Leafs fan. I grew up cheering. For, actually, I grew up cheering for the Leafs uh, primarily, but I was born in Montreal, so I also cheer for the Montreal Canadiens if the Leafs aren't playing them, which is slightly controversial <laughs> in this country. But it's like that's not a me problem. That's a you. That's a you problem. I I can do what I, I can cheer for whoever I want to. That's uh, right. <laughs> so, but, so, but but yeah, primarily push comes to shove. A Leafs fan. I will also add that my West Coast team has always been the Colorado Avalanche because when I was a kid, Patrick Waugh, who was my favorite uh, a, a goaltender player at the time, he moved from uh, from Montreal to uh, to Colorado and he took with right. him or Joe Sackick and my favorite uh, Peter Forsberg and Milan and they had this amazing team. And, and so like the, I, for, for reasons that are completely unrelated, the city that I've only been to once and it was last year, Denver, Colorado was my West Coast team. And, uh, but, the, but, but yeah, Toronto Maple Leafs, they're my team. They break my heart every year, and yet uh, I I can't I can't stop cheering for them. What can you do? You gotta love the teams you love, you know. That's right. Well, you know, original six and the that's right. The Hall of Fame is in Toronto, uh, so you you've got. And many... I noticed behind you the Smashville poster. I that's you're, right. You're a Predators fan. Um, that's right. I went to Nashville one uh, one time. I had a great trip, and at a Preds game, it was it was the Predators Red Wings, and I didn't know what kind of a rivalry it was, and the crowd was so into it. I didn't know people in in Nashville took hockey so seriously it was awesome there's such a great crowd and they gave out these uh smashville t-shirts and i still wear it around the house it's like my uh, <laughs> my my uh you know around the house t-shirt so that's right yeah so i got it i didn't grow up with hockey of course american college football is mm. the biggest sport where i live but um a friend of mine who was a red wings fan introduced me to hockey and they were at that time in the same division as nashville uh detroit was yeah. And so they would play several times a year and we started going to games up there. So that's that's sort of I, Atlanta still had a team at the time. And I'm about the same distance to both cities. But of course, Atlanta has not been able to <laughs> keep a team. <laughs> but yeah, Nashville, it, you know, a lot of controversy, of course, about the Sun Belt hockey teams where plenty of Canadian cities would love to have a team and and would do a better job of supporting it than Atlanta has over the years. I mean, yeah. I mean, yes and no. Who 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 can really say you know how how you support a team and how you build a community? Hockey is played indoors, no matter where you're playing it. So yes, it's true that over time Canada has become more of a hockey country because we just associate it with winter. But if you love hockey and you live in Florida, you you know you should have access to it too. It would be it it would be great. Yeah, if a lot of Canadian cities got got hockey teams and we always like lament that some cities don't uh treat their hockey teams well Atlanta being a good city but that but that's true of any league as well and from what I understand people do love their hockey in in for example uh Los Angeles where they have like three teams in the in you know between uh, uh San Jose LA and Anaheim so it's like you know in that whole area like, so if you like your hockey and you, and you treat the hockey team well. I'm not going to begrudge the American cities for having them, even though, you know, it, it was really, really cool to see Winnipeg get the team back, for sure. Right. Well, and and all I can, we don't have to, <laughs> uh, it's not the Hockey Talk podcast. This but, isn't, uh, wait, this is, we're not, this isn't a hockey podcast? <laughs> uh, anyone who has listened all the way back, I have been fortunate to speak to a couple of other friends in the great white north and and hockey always seems to come up but sure, yeah. because i love the sport and, yeah. and to that point i do think it's great that more people have been able to be exposed to it and i love the atmosphere in nashville yeah um so i am grateful for that as well 
But where we left off on your musical journey was with the theater. Oh, yeah. And also the idea that for some amount of time you had been playing these songs in your bedroom. But at some point you decide to get up and play some music in front of a crowd. Yeah. How did that transition happen? Very, very uh, quietly. So it started at, at McGill. I would, I would go to some bars that have open mic nights. Mm-hmm. And then throughout my travels, when I was in law school or living in Toronto uh, after that, I would go to open mic nights and not really tell anybody. I'm just kind of play. And I love doing it. And for the life of me, looking back, I can't imagine why I didn't go more with it sooner, be more vocal with it sooner. And I think it's because it's that thing that I wanted the most. You know, there's a part of you that you are worried that once you put out there, people are going to reject and it's easier just not to not to push forward. And I'm not a, a shy guy in all respects. And yet this thing, it's the same reason why people maybe don't get get into shape because they, they're, they're worried they won't be able to commit to it. It won't be very good. There's all these fears that happen in your in your life. And looking back, it's like, well, you know, your greatest fears are not going to be realized. It's just like people are not going to go and boo you. They're either going to not show up or they're going to cheer you on that kind of a thing. You know, it's not, it's not right. worth it. And now I'm at the point where I'm like, man, I wish I was big enough where people would come and boo me. It means that, that I've, impa- <laughs> I've impacted them, that they actually have gotten under, under their skin, but that's, but that's a different problem. And, uh, right. and, so, and so that journey happened, you know, working hard, especially right after school. I, I worked in, uh, I, I, uh, I don't actually practice law. I, I work in, uh, now I work in risk management at a bank, and I, and at the time I was working in consulting, which is like also kind of similar to law, very hard, aggressive hours, mm-hmm. work hard, play hard mentality. But I love this thing that I was doing every now and again, and then I got involved with this lawyer show, and my friends, I started acquiring these friends who are more artistic and philosophical like me, and started thinking about it. And for my birthday a number of years ago, I decided I'm going to put on a concert and I'm going to invite people to come and 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 watch and play these songs that maybe they don't even know this side of me. And I did that. And I just had one of the best nights of my life. Like it still sits very close to the front of my, of, of my memory is like a precious evening. Mm-hmm. And that was like, okay, well, now I got to do something. I, I, I got to do this again. It was, it was too much of a rush. And I got to do it in a way that doesn't burden my family and friends. They can't just be the old, <laughs> the soul people coming to see my shows. Right. Um, so I got some technology, a, a mic and a MacBook to try to record myself at home to hear what it would sound like if I could mm-hmm. record these songs. And through a friend of a friend, I met someone who um, was, was in the music industry in, in some way. He like was a, was, had, had some producing experience. And he asked to hear it, and he liked it. His name is Kevin, great guy. Mm-hmm. And Kevin knew uh, the manager of a, of a recording studio here in Toronto called uh, Dreamhouse. And he passed those demos on. And Kevin was like, yeah, I'll work with you. I'd love, I'll have to record these songs. He, and I was like, oh, wait, these are... These songs are actually, so it's not just me who likes these songs. It's actually good enough to be recorded. And he helped me find musicians and, and my collaborators who I still have to this day, Sean Boyle in particular, shout out to, to Sean and, and Calvin. And, um, and, and, and we acquired a few other uh, people to support, a drummer named Cola, harmony expert and violin player named Kara. Uh, I'm very fortunate enough to work. So Cola's in another amazing band called the OBGMs here in Toronto. And I'm really grateful to work with him. I just put violin on some music I'm recording with, a phenomenal, phenomenal violin and cellist named Izzy Ritchie from a, a very big Canadian indie band called the Strombellas. And like I'm, now it's like it kind of, you know, it builds up once you start, once you put it out into the world. It's not enough just to like manifest and like wish that it will happen. But if you have that wish and you take steps that are proactive, had I not mentioned what I was doing and not shown an interest to this, to, to Kevin, friend of, a friend, friend of a friend, you know, in a park as what I'm doing, he might not have 
ever known and he might not have been able to like offer some kind of support right so, and so it happens slowly you build the confidence in yourself i wish it didn't happen so slowly you know really, <laughs> all I right wish, i wish it was but that's how it happened and now and now it is now it's like a full-on train and it's it's all consuming in, in the most uh, amazing of ways and and we'll post links to the music you're releasing and and these are like you mentioned you know you've got it's it's a full musical collaboration yeah. in, instrumentation it's not just you and your guitar singing like you at, at, like when you started at the open mic nights but i did want to ask about that part of it mm. when you are up in front of a crowd with just you and your guitar and the song that gives you the opportunity to learn <laughs> and you touched on this a little bit too maybe where some of your strengths and weaknesses are what the crowd responds to yeah because because it is completely stripped down it's just you and the song kind of were you able to take away any kind of thoughts about how you wanted to approach songwriting going forward based on those experiences yeah I, yeah that's a really really great kind of thought to put me on because part of the reason i didn't record was i didn't like my the way that i played and i didn't mm -hmm. like the way that i sang even though i you know i can hit the notes and and then you realize well you can hire musicians to play the music better than you at studio quality and you can warm your voice up or warm your voice down and you know people do seem to like it so you know some of some of that's on me and some of that is strategically right strategically mm -hmm. or tactically i can get into a studio hire musicians and then it's like okay well now i can't reproduce the sound on stage and there's some insecurities and anxieties about that but now it's okay well let's solve this problem and the problem is most people haven't even heard of me when i go on stage they don't even know that i have the music up there so if the thing is the joy of getting up there maybe people want to come to hear an acoustic show it's acoustic covers of songs they don't even know right so all right. i have to do is take the opportunity to to get better at playing the guitar in a way that is pleasing to an audience and it really took i'm better than i was giving myself credit for you know i, I can hit right. i can strum pretty well and i can hit <laughs> notes i can't do there's like very clever things if you ever see like really great like like a jack white kind of music they're, they're doing amazing things. i'm nowhere near that right but they're my songs i wrote them i also wrote them in a way to to be played for me so just taking that to like a slightly next level and people like it and then i can say by the way if you like this music i have full orchestration on the studio recordings go check it out. So it is a completely different experience. And I'm at peace with the fact that I don't have, I, I don't replicate the studio sounds on stage. It's almost liberating. And then if I was big enough and I had the resources, then we would find a way to do, to do that. But in the meantime, there's a joy and a magic to the recording process and a joy and a magic to be on stage. They're related, but they're not the same. And they kind of get separated out. Right. Yeah. And, and just as you were talking through that, it, it, it occurred to me, you know, and just in talking with you, you're obviously an outgoing guy. I don't know if you consider yourself an extrovert, but you're certainly passionate and enthusiastic about music and making music and putting out stories there that, you know, uh, people want to go back and listen to again and again. And it, and it made me think about this two experiences I've had around live music uh one was being able to see eric clapton in concert one time mm -hmm. and and he's obviously a musical genius but yeah. has almost like no bedside manner <laughs> with, with the audience or at least 
in that show, and that's the only time I've seen him, that he, you know, people would clap, of course, after the song, and he might say thank you, but then he would go into the next song. He never really yeah. stopped to tell the story or the thought. Well, he, he also it. doesn't really need to because you have a relationship with that music. He was my favorite guitarist as a kid. You know, I was, as far as songwriting and songs go, the Beatles were my number, number one. But I remember when I started the guitar, man, I wish I could play specifically like Eric Clapton. You know, and I had a poster of him in my room. And I'm actually seeing him. He's coming to Toronto this okay. this year i'd love for him to like talk to the audience a bit but at the same time i have a relationship with all those songs and he only <laughs> has so much to play so uh, you know how, how what am i really expecting from from him you know right music. right but then on the other side of this the other end of the spectrum and this was you know I, i'm i'm not comparing these two musicians i'm comparing the experience of going to see them live yeah and the other scenario was bruno mars who oh, yeah you know the type of music that he does and obviously i enjoy it or else i wouldn't have been at the show but some people don't dig you know funk or oh you know electronic music or auto-tune or or any of this they may some people may look negatively on the musical side of that but man i have never seen anybody put more energy and enthusiasm into a show as much as my experiences in seeing him live and so yeah and what a even voice on Bruno Mars you know what a crazy crazy voice right and that, but that but that pop star kind of thing right. putting on a show and I've, I've seen I haven't seen Bruno Mars but, I, but I've seen like people in the same kind of genre caliber like like a Lady Gaga let's say right. they put on a show they orchestrate it from start to finish it's a whole production they can't you know they they don't just get up on stage and, and play the guitar they almost don't have the luxury of Eric Clapton deciding whether or not to talk to the audience. <laughs> they're on, they're on a schedule, and it is impressive. As, I mean, I, I happen to, to really like Bruno Mars and the sounds, but if even if you didn't, it is impressive as as performance entertainment. Like it's just from start to finish, they have a whole show. It's a it's right. a show, you know. That's amazing. Sorry, I right. interrupted you, but, but no, no, that was that was actually where I was going. Was just this whole idea of you know, connecting with your audience and, and sort of building that additional, you know, you took when we were talking about show tunes earlier mm. and, and the catchiness of, of some of those where like maybe when you're leaving the theater after seeing the show, you find yourself humming or whistling one of the big tunes because yeah. it, 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 it made that sort of impression on you. And, and so these were some reflections <laughs> of a uh, thing artists live in the past, but, I mean, the only thing I lament about the only, and it's a very small thing about these big mm -hmm. production shows, is that there's there's no organic encore. The encore is built right. in to the show itself. <laughs> right. So you don't, right. as you, as an audience, you don't really feel like you've earned it. You're like, all right, let's uh, everyone just uh, we know he's coming back. <laughs> we know the song he hasn't he didn't do yet. You know. Right. But, whereas, what's really cool is when a uh, an artist closes the show with their biggest song, and you're like, I guess that's it and then you cheer for them because they're so great and then they come back and they play like a deep cut or a cover or something as an actual encore right but it's it's a small it's a small trivial thing <laughs> no and i think it's fair it, it just it doesn't feel organic like you say it it's all planned out yeah. <laughs> which takes a little a tiny bit of the fun out of it I, you're still there having a good time definitely yeah i, I guess this is less about the music but maybe a little bit about the motivation uh you, you started putting out more music you know coincidentally when this global pandemic was going on and i think you know covid 
did this with a lot of people, right? We we had extra time on our hands, but it also, for a lot of us, I think, made us reconsider some of the things we wanted to do in life. Did did that play a part for you at all? Absolutely. I mean, it it, co it coincided with where I was at in my musical journey. I don't know if it was a coincidence. I, I wonder, you know, you're sitting at home. I'd already put myself on a path prior to that, performing for family and friends, thinking about what to do with it. Now I had the the time mm -hmm. on my own to put together at least initial demos, which if I didn't know that I could do, now I in my when I were back into the world, I wouldn't carve out the time to do it. Right. Also, it was an emotionally rich uh, time to be to be writing. There's so many Certainly. things that you're feel that, that that you're feeling. And you want to put them somewhere, and I'm sure a lot of people, at you know, had had journal entries, and and uh, and for me, it was channeling it into in, into songwriting, taking the silver lining of being isolated, of being at home, of worrying about what what might happen to you, what might happen to your loved ones. Like these are those are very shocking, troubling, bizarre time. Even if looking back, it only seems like well, it was only a couple of years or whatever. But when you're in it, it, it felt like it could have gone forever, and and taking those emotions and turning them into songs was part right. of it. And having the time to be able to really think through how to make them great was another part of it. So yeah, absolutely. Okay. And and you mentioned, you know, journaling and you've talked a little bit in the past about songwriting and, and maybe it starts with one note that you yeah. visit over time and, and eventually a song or story comes out of that. Have, have, is that your normal process? And do, have you ever had the experience where you just sit down and and pretty much the whole song comes out fully formed? Often, often uh, luckily for me, it comes fully or mostly formed in in a single session because I'm playing for you know a couple hours. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. So once I get going, I'm like, okay, well, this is what I'm doing my evening. The movie I was going to watch is now not not happening. Right. Um, <laughs> but but often it's not the case. I, I, my, I have a rule with myself where if if I remember a song the next day, then it's good and I'll finish it if, or if it's not already finished, you know, I mean, when I say fully formed, I'll, I might, you know, change the word here or there. What often happens is I'll have like a chorus and a verse or just a verse or just a chorus. And I'm like, I'll remember that. I'm like, hey, well, I remember that. Now I got to, I got to make it happen. If I don't, then I, then I won't. I don't journal. I've never been good at journaling, but I do keep a section of my phone of like thoughts or, or poems because they can be turned into, like, they're not good poems usually, but, but they can be turned into the starting points of songs. And then I've got it in my back pocket if I need them, if, if, if something, and because I've written it, it's now out in the world. So when I go to a guitar and I strike some chord and there's some sadness or some happiness, what are the, how am I thinking? Well, okay, there are these words. Did I write anything recently that might help me to give me a boost, a leg up to make it happen? Because if I don't, then, it, then it, I'll never give it the chance to be the kind of song that I can remember the next day. And so uh, there, there's a song, um, and sometimes I'll go, I'm like, I haven't written a song in a while. I'm gonna sit down, I'm just gonna write a song. I'm just gonna do it, I'm gonna set the exercise. And sometimes, very often, when I do that, it doesn't work because that's not how it happens. But sometimes, it, it does work. Sometimes it does work, and sometimes I'm even happy with the results. I had a right. song like that um, that I wrote called "Love My Lonely Lot." I hadn't written a song in a while, and I wanted to sit it out there. And I went to the piano, uh, and, I, and I and I plunked out a couple of notes, and, I, and it and it came to me within an afternoon. I was like, "Good, you did it. Good for you, Danny. You did the thing." And then I added it. I liked it enough to add it to like my submission bucket to my producer, not in my top. The ones that I thought were going to be in the album, but in the bottom. And and I th uh, and when my producer heard it, he actually loved it. And he's like, "Oh, this is when we have to. This is going to make it onto the album." And so now we're putting it on the album, all because I started with the with the exercise of thinking, "I want to I want to write a song." 
which is not the normal way. Normally it's like you're having fun and you're like, okay, I feel, oh, I feel like writing a song now. And that it comes out more organically, but right. All to say that like, you know, uh, the old Greeks, Oh, breathe, Oh, muse, breathe into me. Who knows where inspiration comes from? <laughs> sometimes it's because you, you have the intention of writing a song. Sometimes it's because you have the intention of having fun, but always because you've done all the work between reading and living and playing and thinking and, 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 and getting better and practicing and being on a show that when you sit down to write, all of that comes, comes to you uh, right. very much in the way that there's that old story where Picasso is, I don't know if it's a true story, but Picasso was like selling uh, uh, artwork that, he, in, that he'd make personal artwork for you for like a hundred dollars, a hundred francs. And a lady comes up and pays her a hundred francs and he scribbles something and gives her the page. And she says, uh, Monsieur, what, what is this? This took you five seconds to make. And he says, no, madame, this took me a lifetime to make. <laughs> right, right. I don't know if it's true. If it's a true story, but it's a great story. <laughs> it is. I think, you know, uh, certainly. I I don't see how we could avoid, you know, all of our life experiences having input into our creative outlet, and uh, maybe from very expected places. Sometimes, probably from unexpected places. Definitely. Um, experiences we've had. So, you know, a little bit earlier this year, you on your Instagram, you talked about. The candle is worth the game yeah and the artwork and the collaboration around creating that i yeah. mean talk a little bit about the candle is worth the game and and also the the associated artwork with it yeah well because this is a music and photography uh podcast, right. and not as i thought a hockey podcast <laughs> um right. so the candle is worth the game is a play on an old expression you might have heard uh, the game is worth the candle or, or there's a question of is the game worth the candle and for your audience uh, listeners, it basically means that something is worth doing if the cost of it is worth doing. You'd say, like, is the game worth the candle? I think some people would say, is the cake worth the candle? Right. When I was in the studio recording these 10 songs, I wanted to take these four songs that to me had an arc of, like, darkness to light and have that theme where, like, living is worth living even though there are hardships associated with it. And because the theme was from dark to light and I want to emphasize the warmth, I just little, the candle is worth the game. I mean, really, they're interchangeable. It doesn't make a difference right and so that's where the title came from so there was an artist named lily mason that uh that uh, uh, i was introduced to and she she lives she's canadian and she lives in, in nepal and she does beautiful artwork and uh and, and she's metis she's she's indigenous canadian and one of my songs downward into the dark the one you hit takes on a very serious topic of these mass graves that were found in canada and it's not a political song by any means it's just an emotional kind of feeling-based song and it's the it's the darkest song i've written it's it, um in fact that comes from a from a nietzsche quote uh he was talking about humanity how how we are like a tree the higher we reach up towards the heavens the deeper our roots grow downward into the dark and it's like and our it, you know the road to hell is paved with good intentions that kind of thing and so i wanted to speak with her about getting artwork for this album or the ep i should say that kind of had one single for downward into the dark one single for morning light but, and then another related single for, um, for uh, or related artwork for the actual album. My first album, Free Times, was just a bunch of pictures of me and like and, and, and letters across, which also looked good. And that's one way to approach it. But I wanted to see if I could maybe do something different, conceptualize it. There's right. never a bad time for an artist to have a picture of their face and words on the cover. Like that, it always works. You knock it out of the park every time. And there's ways to do that really, really well. And I hired a, I hired a guy named Michael Rycraft who did it well. But this time I wanted to try something a, a little different. And so Lily, who's a, who's a graphic artist, and I talked about this, and we thought about making the image 
one image that then is manipulated very subtly to change it from being the overall album cover, which is about the opportunity and possibilities of life, to Downward Into the Dark, which is like just a, a grim, washed out palette that looks like nobody cares, to Morning Light, which is kind of warm and full of vibrancy and full of uh, uh, energy, but like kind of using the same image, just tweaked slightly. Right. And um, she had brought up the idea for me, well, what if we made it like a cocktail bar and with like uh, actual candles and actual cards, make it like an actual visual, visual representation. I thought that's, that's great. Love that on the nose. And you could really play with it. And uh, we were looking at old uh, record albums and old paintings of people at piano bars and cocktail bars. And the one that struck both of us uh, was, there's a great old album called uh, just one of these nights by um, who is it? By Nat King Cole. The really cool album cover where he's sitting there with like a martini glass. I thought that would be, that's kind of a cool image. And it's like all this red and around it, very full of color. And so we worked with that and some other images and made it see, uh, and, and made it look like a painting, uh, a certain kind of style of early 20th century painting you might see in some museums that like is specific to how piano bars are, are kind of often portrayed or even similar to how early Canadiana paintings in those in, those, in that time uh, was was made. And so I took pictures of me at home in various seated positions so she could get a sense of what I look like at a table with cards. Right. And and she took those and turned them into the images and we were and and she did an amazing job. I mean, really knocked it out of the park when I when I look at it now it's like, you know, I like the replayability of music that is great to listen to with songs you want to listen to again. Talk about something that is relookability. You know, yeah. there's like all these little Easter eggs in it, and 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 it, and it was really beautiful, and it captured exactly the feeling of, of 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 washed out, nobody cares, and then the feeling of energy and and bright, and then this sort of somewhere in the middle energy of like here we are at night, anything is possible, and right. so all credit to Lily Mason for that visual image, and it really made me think about what I could, what's possible from a visual perspective for music, so. If I may continue on the music I'm coming at now, yeah. I worked with with this with this artwork um, designer named Roberto Landreth, who's like this Juno award-winning artist. Uh, Juno's is like the Canadian Grammys, and she has made brilliant, brilliant stuff. And now we had a whole conversation. She talked with me for hours about what's my favorite albums, what am I trying to get out of this new music, what's going on? And we talked about it, and she came up with a whole bunch of concepts for me to look at and approve. And the one that I chose was actually quite simple because it's the one that seemed to like get the most evocative response from people when I showed them all the right. spectrum. And it's me in a studio playing instruments, or in those cases, a lot of them are me playing scratch tracks, palleted over with these single washed colors that kind of creates like an overall, not a, not exactly a rainbow, almost like an anti-rainbow because they're like the, the, the colors of like cyan and lime green and these non-traditional versions on, on, uh, on red, blue, green that, that kind of stand right. out and really kind of pop. And and now Roberta did this, um, this this amazing job of getting the visual image. Also emphasizes to me because I have gone and played more of my instruments on the studio. Still not nearly as much as, as as Sean, but a little bit more. And so it's like a reminder to me that here I am doing this thing that I have changed, that I am growing, that I am moving forward on this journey, um, and thinking through what that what that sounds like and what that literally looks like. And now what do I do for the for the next for the next one? Maybe having taken these new things, I go even further on the visuals. Maybe right. maybe I strip it back down and go back to like the old uh, Leonard Cohen kind of albums that are just pictures of him, something simple. I don't know yet. Right. It, depend, it depends on what, the, on what now the story of the album can be and how it can look. 
And if you've ever paid attention to how much you check your phone when a song comes on and you look at the little picture, I have, and I realize I do it a lot more than I thought. <laughs> right. So, so, so it matters what you're looking at, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I do, I, I do love the idea that you, and the, and the approach on the candle is worth the game in that, you know, like you mentioned, there's, there's the common piece to it, right? The scene is exactly the same, but the mood is different. Like you mentioned, different. tied to each, um, individual songs so that is great but yeah getting back to the more recent uh, to the newest music the music that is coming out right now that you announced uh that you're going to be releasing uh through november and kind of bringing it full circle back to how we started with the talk about the music store and yeah and the way that things have changed I, i mean i think i do think in the digital era one of the nice things about it well, just that it can be delivered <laughs> automatically to, to people that want to hear it is nice. But also, it, it is a thing now, I think, that people are releasing. You know, you can push out a song at any point in time. You don't have to wait until you have a whole collection of songs right. and release an album. And And then when you do it that way, also each song sort of gets its own little moment in the sun. Uh, so yeah, just tell us all about the new music and uh, not, you know, you talk through the visual part, but talk about the music part, kind of what does this represent as an evolutionary step in your music? Do you feel like? Thanks for, for talking about the new, the new music too, because I do want to yeah. listen to it. The first album I came in, not really knowing what I, it was possible in the studio, just getting musicians. And I, again, those musicians, John Foster on the drums and Sean Royal on basically everything else. It just knocked it, knocked it out of the park. And on vocals, I did, I did my best. And Calvin and I came up with some harmonies. And I'm really proud of it. And I thought it was great. Um, when I came to the next collection of songs, which is a combination of Candles Worth the Game and the new album is called Fenero Rhyme, now I knew a bit what was possible. So I could, I, I could think as I made the demos about what was, what was possible, but I also knew the way that, that uh, for example, Sean thought about songwriting and I could write songs a little more in tune with, with maybe what, what he was thinking to help get already a head start on, on what it could sound like. I also trusted my collaborators so much more because I knew what they were capable of. And so it's easier to say yes to all of their ideas. You know, I, I can't emphasize enough how much of a collaboration it is, even if it's mm-hmm. my name on it. Um, thinking more about harmonies, there was a, 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 an audio engineer uh, working. She just graduated from school named Kara McKinley. And she's a singer-songwriter in her own right. And because she was there, I kind of tapped into her to get my harmonies better. So now the harmonies were built up. Calvin thought, what if we added strings to this album? I thought, yeah, well, let's add strings. And so now we've added strings to the album. Um, there was a, a, a program through Spotify for Artists where artists could uh, get a free day of studio recording. You, you just have to apply. So I did that. And I went in, and it was just me. So I had to play the guitar on that track. Now I had to be good enough to be good enough on a, on a bare-bones recording. I went into the studio to show Sean the kind of finger picking thing that I wanted to do. And Calvin was like, Danny, you should just, you should just play this part. Like we, we don't need, we don't need anything else. Like that's the, how it should sound. And so I ended up being now on two songs on my own guitar. Right. And so it builds up like more of me in it, mm-hmm. but more of me uh, adapting the songwriting to what I think that the studio could do more open to just the possibilities that are in, inherent going into the studio. And this idea of change and growth comes with it, a change and growth to release strategies too, that we're, we're talking about. Right. So the first album comes out. I have I convinced my album artist, who's like an old school album artist guy, 
to like make five singles on an album of 10. He's like really, really giving me the gears, really chewing me out for wanting to have so many singles. But as it turns out, those five singles have like thousands and thousands of streams. And the ones at the bottom of the album have hundreds of streams. And it's not, it's not hard to figure out why. Nobody's sitting there listening to 10 tracks in a row and you're going to go to the songs that you like. But if you can listen to one song, you might be reminded of the song you liked the last time. So asking someone to listen to one song every month or six weeks is a lot easier than saying, here's 35 minutes of music in a row, go. You know, right. Even people who really like me after two or three songs and they want to skip, you know, it's just the world we live in. They don't listen. They don't live in a different world. So I'm releasing it song by song to give each song the chance to build a bit of an audience. And as I release each one, the reason why it's still an album is with each song comes the last song. So the first single off Finero Rhyme is this kind of uh, 90s rock style song called Don't Look to Me. Mm-hmm. That's a single true in the truest of words. The next one, Sorry from the Road, which came out recently, has Don't Look to Me attached to it. And Sorry from the Road also is like a very uh, a driven rock song. I wrote it like a Roy Orbison song on my guitar and it ends up sounding like a Bruce Springsteen song. We added saxophone and we added glockenspiel and like, it, it's like a, it really, really drives. And right. the next song that's coming out on June 2nd called It's No Use Trying to Change Me, it's going to have Sorry from the Road and Don't Look to Me attached to it. And It's No Use Trying to Change Me kind of a, it has like, Bob Dylan-esque lyrics, if I may flatter myself. And we add like the banjo. And so now it's like a banjo sound that sounds different than these other two kind of rock sounds, you know, the sort of like Bare Naked Lady sound on one and Bruce Springsteen sound on the other. And, you know, how they're written sometimes translates to how we end up performing them, but sometimes completely differently. Like, uh, sorry from the road, like I said, the way it was written, well different from how it was performed. It's something trying to change me, pretty similar to how I envisioned it, but with a banjo instead of a, a guitar and it sounds so cool. And then we've got, another song coming out six weeks after that called Daisy. And then after that, we get into the two songs that I'm featured as an actual musician, which is, um, which is uh, Waltz once more, a little bit of a Waltz, a little love song, and then Be Good, which is sort of what closes the album. And on the, the songs that I'm recording right now to be released in 2024, I'm putting myself again, not because I'm never going to play it as well as these professional musicians, but that doesn't mean I, I don't have a role to play either and I can't get better, you know? So I'm playing a little bit of, of music. I've added, you know, Sean is, is an amazing harmonica player. I'm adding a little bit of my own take on harmonica on some of the songs too. Because I perform and because I play relatively consistently, whether or not I'm playing perfectly, Calvin wanted me to come into the studio and work with some of his students. He took mm-hmm. a semester to teach at an audio engineering school. And he said, Danny, why don't you come in some songs that haven't been recorded, otherwise might not get recorded, play them so they have something to work with. And if they turn out good, they can turn them into actual, you know, bedroom sound songs. And I was like, that's a fantastic idea. (laughs) And so here I am singing and playing the guitar. I'm practicing to get myself up to a point, like like I would in a a performance on a stage. Right. And now they're going to engineer and they're going to take those sounds and they're going to, within their own abilities, make me sound the best. And then they may add additional production, maybe a little bass, a little piano, a little whatever, uh, uh, egg shaker, tambourine. And it's going to sound like be good. It's going to have this like basement tapes, bedroom feel, but it's going to actually be me as the, as the musician, which is like a really cool change. I don't think they'll ever get to the point where I'm going to be the main mu- musician on all my records because I, first of all, I love working with these musicians, love doing it. Second of all, they're way more talented than I am at that. But, but what a thrill to now have gone from like a guy who plays in his, in his uh, bedroom to having the confidence to go into studio with songs to pay musicians to do it, to having the confidence to go on stage, to now having the confidence to bring full circle and actually be on my own recordings. It's, it's a wonderful journey and I, and I keep pushing forward. I keep feeling like, like I'm growing. And as we talk about it, I have to mention, I love these songs. I think they sound great. I want your listeners to hear them. I hope they've enjoyed listening to me 
talk today, but I want them to listen to the music. I, I promise you, I write these songs just to be <laughs> just to be enjoyed, just to be listened to. They, they don't have to mean anything extra. They're not overly academic or pedantic. I just like good folk music, rock music, rock and roll music, pop music, and that's what I try to write. And I hope if uh, people give me a, a chance, they'll like it too. Absolutely. And and I think that's a great way to wrap it up, Danny. I, 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 you know, your enthusiasm for me is infectious. And, Thank and you. I, I certainly plan on uh, following along as you release this new music this year. And I hope everybody else will check it out, too. So tell everybody how they can follow along. Well, first thing you can do is follow me on uh, wherever you get your music, Spotify, Apple Music, uh, Amazon. I'm everywhere. You can just search for me by name, Danny Horovitz, D-A-N-Y-H-O-R-O-V-I-T-Z. Um, I think on Spotify, I might be the first Danny H, the single Danny H that comes up. If you're on social media, follow me on Instagram. That's where I'm most active. I'm also at Danny Horvitz uh, Music on Facebook, Danny Horvitz Music, but uh, Instagram and Facebook. And then... Uh, just stream stream my music. Hope you love it. Let me know if you do and uh, tell your friends. Yeah. And thanks so much again for your time this morning, Danny. Thanks, Billy. Thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate this conversation. Your questions are great. Your research was amazing. And uh, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the Predators a little, a little cheer for you next year. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. They need all the help. Thank you. <laughs> Special thanks again to Danny Horovitz for coming on to talk about songwriting and storytelling and all about his musical journey. I really hope you will check out his music and follow along. Our theme song, Timeless, is courtesy of Mike Gutterman. Mike makes music available for content creators on his Bandcamp page at mikegutterman.bandcamp.com. You can get in touch with the Sunny16 team at sunny16presents at gmail.com. And as always, as our friend John Whitmore might say, always try and be a decent human being.